This is Invest Talk. Independent thinking, shared success. Justin Klein and Steve Peasley stand ready to take your finance and investment questions and share their unbiased answers. Invest Talk is made possible by KPP Financial, a registered investment advisor firm serving clients throughout the United States. The clarity for your path forward starts now. Here is KPP Chief Executive Officer, Financial Advisor, Justin Klein. Good afternoon, fellow investors, and welcome back to Invest Talk. This is our Tuesday, December 13th, 2022 edition, and we are in the final stretch of the year. Christmas, just a couple weeks away, and right at the top of today's podcast, I want to make you aware, if you aren't already, about our special free online wealth webinar coming up just in less than 48 hours. Thursday, 2 p.m. Pacific time, we're going to present an all-new KPP Financial Wealth Webinar, uh, Income Opportunities in a Rising Rate World. It's free to register, only takes a minute, and we're going to look at the macro environment that we are in today, the Fed's role. We're going to look at different asset classes, which asset classes are going to thrive in this new market regime. We're going to go over different types of income opportunities, including fixed income uh, investing, dividend investing, options, selling options, calls and puts, and much, much more. And we're also going to look at near and long-term outlook for inflation. So not, uh, not only what's going to happen over the next year, but the next decade, because that's what really you should be concerned about. It's going to ebb, it's going to flow but we're going to look at some data points there to give us an idea of what to expect. Now, we're also going to look at sources of income, which one is suited, best suited for each type of investor, and how can you limit the risk when searching for the income that you are seeking. And so this is a free online webinar coming up this Thursday, like I said, December 15th at 2 p.m. Pacific time. We're only a couple days away. You can register right now at investtalk.com and tell your friends and family as well. Now, back to the task at hand. It's working on your financial future. Now, I might be tempted or might be tempting to uh, look at last year at this time. Uh, and we all know that this year is different. We've had a year of dealing with it. You might be getting used to that by now. And you probably should be. But you also might be searching for footing on how to invest in this new environment. Well, that's what we are here to help you do. To get your portfolio properly balanced for your goals, your risk tolerance level, and the current market backdrop. So I'm Justin Klein. I'm here on this radio show and podcast today to help you develop investment strategies, and the mindset to make good investment decisions on a consistent basis. Now, the phone number is open, as always, 24 hours a day, seven days a week at 888-99-CHART. I've got a lot of material to discuss with you today. One is my focus point in regards to a new survey. 60% of Americans see crypto investing as highly risky. And we're going to look at the numbers, and I'll give you a brief overview of what's happening in the market and uh, or the crypto market 
and what you should likely expect going forward. Now, time permitting, I have some other topics on the docket as well. One is how much are Americans missing out on when it comes to earnings on their cash? We're going to look at that. Also, we're going towards the end of the year. And if you have mutual funds, any taxable accounts, this will be important to you because it's about capital gains distributions. And this can happen in mutual funds, uh, sometimes in ETFs, closed-end funds, etc. So we're going to look at all of that. And then lastly, our Roth conversions. Good idea in a down market. We're going to look at that story as well. But ultimately, it's about what's on your mind. So give me a call, 888-99-CHART, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. We also have some voice bank questions we're going to play. One is on the VIX and Iron Butterfly options. So I've got this all planned for this episode of Invest Talk, and of course, taking your live calls as well at 888-99 chart. Now let's take a look at the market today. We had a an up day, a solid up day, about 29 points on the S&P, but it wasn't a huge up day compared to where we were earlier in the day. And that's really, um, that was kind of the story. We had the CPI print that was a bit slower than expected. And really, the headline number still doesn't do it justice. You know, inflation is certainly coming down at a fairly rapid pace. Uh, if you, and this is a, a chart I'm going to share on the webinar on Thursday. Uh, but the if you look at really the last couple of months now, two months in a row, where shelter inflation is up near 10%. It was right about eight and a half or so in the month of October. And in November, it was about maybe 7%. I'm looking at a bar chart, so it's hard to get the exact number. But if you look at the other components of inflation, which would be services and core goods, core goods is down over 5% year over year, right around the 6.5 mark, 7% mark. And last month, that was down about 45 and services is modestly higher. Service inflation is right around the 2% level. A little less this month, or last month. So the shelter is the most lagging. And that's just really keeping the number high-ish. But as time goes on, that shelter number is going to continue to decelerate pretty rapidly. And you're going to continue to get probably CPI prints that beat the downside. And the market's going to like that. The Fed's going to like that. The Fed's going to pop. And this is why I think this is the last Fed hike of this cycle, even though the market's not quite pricing that in yet, but started to a bit today. And that's why you saw the market up. You had the dollar down just a bit. And you had the 10-year that was down 11 basis points. And short-term rates dropped as well to the lowest levels since early September. And so that was what caused the, the nice rally. Also, position positioning was very bearish, very bearish. You had uh, very high uh, purchases of puts and protection on the downside. And typically, it's hard to get big down moves in the market when there's a lot of protection already, already purchased. And so another reason why you had a pretty solid update. But we have the Fed meeting tomorrow and their decision, and that will ultimately 
move market. So we'll see what the, what we have in store tomorrow. Now we're heading to a break, so let's get the party started. And I welcome your finance and investment questions now. No question is too simple or too complex. You set the agenda on Invest Talk at 888 chart. In today's environment, it can be difficult to evaluate and then adequately adjust for the hazards introduced by the various forces affecting the markets. So KPP Financial is preparing a special wealth webinar, Income Opportunities in a Rising Rate World. The webinar will be led by KPP Principal and InvestTalk host, Justin Klein. This free online wealth webinar will be presented live this Thursday, December 15th at 2 p.m. Pacific Time. Learn more and register now at investtalk.com. Serious investors know building a secure financial future requires hard work and determination. That's why now, more than ever, when it comes to the planning, execution, and maintenance of your portfolio, you need InvestTalk. The InvestTalk listener line is open. Don't forget to call. InvestTalk, 888-99-CHART. One of the most rewarding things I do each weekday is host the Invest Talk podcast. I truly enjoy helping investors, and I know that every question counts and every answer I provide will be unbiased. You, the caller, get to chart the course for each Invest Talk podcast. Call with your questions anytime, day or night, 888-99 chart. Hey Steve or Justin, I've been listening to you guys' advice talking about some tax loss harvesting and I've had some gains on the year, and I currently own Playboy, and I'd like to know what you guys think about that possibly being uh, something I use for that tax loss harvesting. If I could just sell out of it and maybe get back into it later or maybe not get back into it at all. Let me know. Thank you. Yeah, I mean, if you have some losses there, that's one place. Uh, now, the technicals are firming up, so, you know, you may – getting back into it in the new year at a higher price um, because it is starting to get uh, starting to enter an uptrend. Now it's not a powerful one, but uh, it certainly could roll over again. It hasn't broken above the hundred day moving average, but you know, it certainly could do that. It's been uh, consolidating there for uh, most of this month. So um, yeah, that's sometimes the gamble you have to take, you know, take the losses and get back into it 31 days later. And it may be a bit higher, but you were able to use that tax loss selling. Maybe it'll be a bit lower. Maybe you don't get back into it at all. Um, but you also have to have faith that, you know, they're going to, their man, current management is going to turn things around. So uh, not a bad place to look for tax loss harvesting. Right. Now, my focus point today is in regards to a new survey from CNBC. And so 60% of Americans believe investing in digital currency is highly risky. That's up from 45% last year. What's crazy to me in this story is that not just that 40% of America doesn't think it's high, highly risky, but that last year, the majority of America didn't think it was highly risky. And this goes to show you that investors are typically very myopic, very short-term. Uh, they don't see the risk if they haven't felt it recently. And that's very important to understand as an investor is that just because you didn't 
feel the risk, meaning you bought a stock, you bought investment, whatever that was, and it didn't lose money over the time you held it, didn't mean you didn't take risk. You should know that. Sometimes risks play out to the upside. Sometimes they play out to the downside. And so every investment that you look at, you have to understand the type of risk that you're taking. And so if every American was being fair and looking at the entire picture, they should know that cryptocurrency is highly risky, even though, even if it's going through a good time. Okay. Now, 38% of Gen Zers, so 25 and under, and 46% of millennials say crypto investing is highly risky. So the majority of the younger, our younger generation does not think that this is a risky investment. Just shows you how poorly educated they are about finance and about investing. A little over 60% of Gen Xers think that it's highly risky and 80% of boomers and the silent generation consider it to be high risk. And the simple answer here is they've been around longer. They've seen this, right? They've seen the grift. They've seen the fraud that have happened throughout history. And there's an old saying, there's nothing new under the sun. There isn't. Crypto's not new. It isn't. The whole ecosystem was happening there. It's not new. There was ideas of this in the 80s and before. I didn't get, you know, there wasn't a huge fervor around it. There wasn't the blockchain. And yes, there's newness there. But when it comes to human emotion and the way that assets move, and why, and because of that emotion, it isn't new. And so the fraud of Sam Bakeman Freed and FTX, the distress amongst other platforms in crypto, BlockFi, and the many others that have filed for bankruptcy. This is not new. Now, only about 10% of Americans say they own any cryptocurrency. 15% of millennials say they own it, 12% of Gen Z and X, less than 5% of baby boomers. But unlike stocks and bonds, there's no entity, underlying entity that supports the value of these things. And that's really the issue here. And that's what you have to understand. Remember, price is what you pay, value is what you get. And many within the crypto space are learning that lesson the hard way. And until the space actually produces value, meaning things that you can tangibly use in your life that improve lives of people, then it's gonna be worth nothing. But one day, it will be big in real life. Now we're heading to break, so give me a call at 888-99-CHART.
Christmas will be here soon. And then comes New Year's. Justin Klein and Steve Peasley are ready to answer your finance and investment questions. Call InvestTalk, 888-99-CHART. Hey guys, my name is Kevin White from San Francisco. I wanted to know about Iron Butterfly options. I'm pretty experienced in options, but I, I've never really touched this one. And I was wondering, would it be considered, I guess I would call it a passive aggressive investment to hunt for flat stocks that are profitable companies and then use iron butterflies to make income over six to nine month periods? Or if that just simply wouldn't work? I'd love your feedback on that. Thank you. Well, it will work if you execute it properly and you monitor it. Um, now, the, the first thing that you want to do when you're selling options and, and collecting premiums, that's really what this is. What an iron butterfly basically is, is you're selling out of the money call and put options, and then you're buying further out of the money call and put options on the same name. So I'll use a simple example. Let's say it's a $100 stock. You're going to go and sell a 110 strike call and a $90 put. You're going to collect some premium from that. Now, the, the issue with doing that is if the stock moves big in one direction, you could be on the hook, right? Because you don't own the underlying. Now, what you do to hedge yourself is you buy a little bit further out of the money option. So you have a limited risk both ways, meaning you would buy maybe a $115 strike or $120 strike call, and you'd buy an $85 or a, an $80 put. So that there's limited downside if the if, if the market moves big one direction. Now your ideal situation, which you talked about, is the stock hangs around 100, all the options expire worthless, and net you're going to earn something. You're going to earn uh, some sort of premium. That's basically what an iron butterfly is, and a lot of people do use those. Now the first thing is you want to keep them relatively short term. Whenever you're selling options, your goal is to get to the end of the curve. And this is something I'm going to talk to you talk about on Thursday with option income, selling puts and calls, and how to get income from them. Is what part of the expiration curve do you want to be in, and why you want to kind of keep it relatively short term, 90 days or less, really 60 days or less. So focus on that, and then you really have to monitor these things. It's not really a set and forget it type of strategy. You know, especially because there's you know some some risk involved, um, and you have to do it smart on the right names. Some names, your uh, you know what what you're really doing is arbitrage arbitraging what is called implied volatility, what is built into the price of those options, and what the actual volatility of the stock is. And typically, you want to buy you want to sell elevated volatility. Now. That's not the only thing you consider as well. You know, it's it's the underlying position. What do you think it's going to ha happen to it? Do you, you know, is, is it kind of within a range? Do you expect it to be in that range because of a particular reason, uh, et cetera? So iron butterflies, a lot of people use them. A lot of income investors, are, there are people that that's all they do are iron butterflies. And, but they're very experienced. They understand implied volatility. They understand all the, all the other Greeks when it comes to uh, options. Um, but it's not a set it, forget it type of strategy. And typically, like I said, you want to do it relatively close to, you know, a, a near term, excuse me, an expiration. 
Now let's keep things moving and make it two in a row. The, this invest stock question came in earlier on 888.99 chart. Hi, this is Bill from San Diego. I have a question. I use VIX to monitor volatility, and I use VXY as a counter indicator. Is there a better strategy? Thank you. Have a nice day. Well, I, I'm not sure what VXY is, uh, but yeah, I mean, the VIX is so, uh, an indicator to look at where uh, option positioning is within the market uh, and where it's trending as well. I think that's what I get the most out of the VIX is, you know, is the trend uh, in volatility higher or is the trend in volatility lower? A lower volatility typically means higher prices. Higher volatility typically means the lower price. So are we making higher highs and higher lows in the VIX or lower highs and lower lows? And throughout this year, really since the summer of last year, the volatility index, the VIX, has been making a series of higher lows. November, uh, you had a low it spiked up in December, came back down in uh, January, time frame and then spike back up higher high higher lows and just a series of that it was just in an uptrend what's interesting is recently you had high in september and october but the vix was not breaking out that along with sentiment was a a, a pretty good indicator that we were at least in a near-term bottom in markets and i was saying okay the vix pulls back are we going to make a lower low or are we going to make a higher low and guess what actually made a lower low earlier this month, which is overall positive for markets. So I'll be interested to see, is that continue? You know, that's the first lower high and lower low, but it's only one. I want to see a series of those. Um, so I definitely want to monitor uh, that. But also there are other, that's just the CBOE, CBOE volatility index on uh, the S&P. What about the NASDAQ? That one also is starting to make a series of lower highs and lower lows. So that's a positive overall. There's also the GVZ, which is gold volatility index. That's another one that you can see, you know, that's been trending lower really since March and and uh, it was an indicator that gold was probably not gonna break down. So there's definitely things that uh, you have to watch. Uh, these, are, these are good indicators to see where volatility is headed. And lower volatility, once again, means higher prices, higher volatility, means lower prices. Now we're heading into a break. I'm Justin Klein. I'm ready to take your question live at 888 chart eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It is official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, 
not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. At this point, I think almost everyone has heard how generative AI promises to bring us to the next industrial revolution. AI is already shaping society with an impact on daily life that echoes the transformative significance of electricity or the internet. As we take steps to embrace the potential of generative AI, we need to remain vigilant with regard to its exploitability. This is where HackerOne comes in. HackerOne's AI Red Team addresses the novel challenges of AI safety and security for businesses that are launching new AI deployments. The HackerOne approach involves targeted offensive testing by harnessing the collective skills of ethical hackers who are proficient in AI and prompt hacking. In short, AI red teaming is the practice of stress testing AI models and deployments to make sure they can't be tricked into providing information beyond their intended use, and that security flaws can't be exploited to access confidential data or systems. HackerOne seamlessly integrates with your existing tools to enhance communication and collaboration across development, security, and IT teams. So, stay ahead of the game in the battle against cyber threats with HackerOne's Attack Resistance Platform. Learn more at HackerOne.com. That's H-A-C-K-E-R-O-N-E.com. HackerOne.com. Since the pandemic and for most of 2022, investors have had to face the multifaceted challenges of changing market dynamics. So KPP Financial is preparing a special wealth webinar, Income Opportunities in a Rising Rate World, this Thursday, December 15th at 2 p.m. Pacific Time. Learn more and register now at investtalk.com. Now, when people take the time to leave an Invest Talk podcast review on iTunes, I'd like to thank them for their courtesy by getting to their questions quickly. Beirut Don says, I'm interested in your thoughts on EPD, Enterprise Product Partners, a Houston-based holding company engaged in the production of natural gas. I'm looking at a long-term ad to my IRA. It has a debt-to-equity ratio of 1.68, but not sure if that's, that it's better than the industry or not. So is EPD a good long-term dividend stock to add? Now, this is a master limited partnership. So that's the first thing you have to understand is that you're going to get some sort of a K-1. You're going to get a K-1 on this. And it's going to be, the income's going to be taxed at your ordinary income tax rate. So if you're in a relatively high tax bracket, that 7.8% yield looks nice, but it's going to be a lot less after taxes than a comparative company that's paying you a qualified dividend that's taxed at long-term capital gains rate, which is, you know, 15, 20%. Whereas you, you know, federal and state, you might be close to 50%. So I'd rather have a 6% yield that's qualified if I'm in a high tax bracket than a 7.8% yield on an MLP or a REIT that's going to be taxed at my ordinary income tax rate. So make sure you understand the tax implications first off. And if it's held within a tax uh, tax deferred account, like an IRA or, or a 401k, guess what? If you earn more than $1,000 in a given year from mass limited, part- and limited partnerships in general, 
Now you have to file separate tax returns. It gets messy. So understand that first of all. Second, this transports and processes natural gas. Okay. This is not, it's, it's basically serving the companies that operate the wells. Okay. So that's what you have to really understand. This is more moving, transporting, processing the product that comes out of the ground. Now, it's a, it's a good company. It does have a lot of debt. It looks like it's been able to pay down some of that debt recently, but not a lot, to be honest with you. That's really just flattened out over the last couple of years. Shares outstanding. What are they doing? They're buying back a few shares, but once again, not a whole lot. Most of the money is going towards paying the dividend. And the last dividend hike was back in July. Um, return equity, about 20%. Long-term, it's a bit above average. Average is about 17%. Still pretty good. I like that. And enterprise value EBITDA is about 9.7, which is near the longer term uh, low. So it's relatively cheap in that sense. So I like it. It's good. We don't buy these for our clients because it just messes with taxes, and we don't like that. So you have to be comfortable with that tax implication. Me personally, I rather own a similar type company. We actually have owned a, 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 a competitor to theirs that is not a maximum partnership. It's just a, a normal corporation, and it pays out qualified dividends, and that yields. Let's see what that yield is right now. That yield right now is five point six percent. Tax adjusted, that's kind of on par. It's cheaper, better run, etc. So EPD is fine, but I don't like the master limited partnership status. Now let's pivot over to how investors, Americans in general, are losing out on about $42 billion in interest in the third quarter. And this is if they move their money out of the five largest U.S. banks to the five highest yielding savings accounts. And despite the fact that the Fed has raised rates consistently throughout this year, the biggest commercial banks have not. Bank of America, Citi, J.P. Morgan, U.S. Bank Corp., and Wells Fargo. Those are the five largest. And they paid on average 0.4% interest on consumer deposits in savings and money market accounts during the third quarter. Now, the five highest yielding savings accounts paid an average of 2.14%. Now, those five banks collectively hold about half of all money kept in U.S. commercial banks in savings and money market accounts that are tracked by the FDIC. And that gap, the amount of interest that Americans could have earned by just moving to those more uh, those higher yielding accounts uh, was $42 billion. That's the largest on record. And this, re- this quarter, the fourth quarter, is going to be even higher because those banks haven't increased their yield. But on average, the top high-yield savings accounts now yield about 3.5%. 
Now, why haven't savers moved money? Opening up a new account can be time consuming. And big banks serve uh, a lot of small depositors. So, you know, most of the people that have money in those, uh, those, those banks, not really going to earn them much more, maybe 20 bucks a year. Now, some people like the, uh, most of those high yield savings accounts are uh, digital and they don't have actual brick and mortar locations. So that is one reason uh, for the discrepancy. And what people are starting to move, one is into I-bonds, obviously, treasury bills. And, you know, these savings accounts are kind of like commodities. As long as they're FDIC insured, they're all kind of the same. Except for, you know, ease of use. So sometimes you have to get over that. But there are a lot better options now to keep your money just socked away in those big banks who have way too much excess reserves. That's why they're not really paying more on their deposits. Now let's go to Joseph in the Bay Area. Let's look at Tesla. Hello. Yeah. How you doing? Hello. How you doing, Justin? I'm doing well, I, Justin. Uh, yeah. What all, you want to talk about, Tesla? Yeah. Yes, but first of all, I appreciate your uh, public service, you and uh, Steve, for a no long problem. time. And we love doing it. We love doing it. The genuine opinion of your uh, is be appreciated by the public. Uh, Tesla, and I see today they broke down and he the volume. Uh-huh. How do you evaluate this situation, what's there in right now. Thank you. Yeah, no problem. Well, I think Tesla, I think the unraveling of Tesla is here. Um, you know, it's been making a series of lower highs and lower lows really since late last year. And this is the poster child of the growth stocks. And, you know, Elon's very shrewd in his, the way he's kind of manipulated the company and, and uh, the stock. Um, but his recent activity is just making the matters a lot worse. Um, and he's become more politicized and that's not a good look for really any corporation to get overly politicized. Um, and you know, he's turned his attention to Twitter and in a very controversial way. And I think a big reason the stock was down today, you saw, uh, the Dave Chappelle show, in San Francisco last night and Dave brought him on stage and Elon got booed in a huge way. And it just shows you that Elon's shtick is, is getting old. You know, I saw through his nonsense years ago, but you know, he was very shrewd and uh, rode the wave of growth stocks and was able to, you know, get the stock into the S&P with some uh, accounting gimmicks and partnering up with uh, with China and, and getting them to uh, a level of profitability, at least uh, from an accounting perspective. Um, but now Elon's reputation is declining pretty rapidly, especially if you consider most of the people that liked Elon, where on the left, they bought into a shtick that he was going to save the world and take people to Mars and, you know, these grandiose ideas that 99.9% of them, you know, don't come to fruition. 
uh, but they point to, you know, the handful of things that he conjured through uh, government subsidies and, and cheap money. Um, and so, you know, he's clearly an egomaniac. <laughs> um, I think, you know, no matter what part of the aisle you want, I think he's the, him and Trump are, are very similar, right? You're on the right and you, you know, you, you might gravitate towards uh, the way Trump is uh, for all his flaws. And same thing with Elon. I think you gravitate towards Elon um, and the way he is. But now because of, you know, him getting more political, he's alienating that left side. Uh, and those are the people that mainly bought the cars because they were the ones that were buying into the green revolution and electric vehicle revolution. And that is dwindling fast. And that's really what Tesla is built on is the reputation and the love so many people have for Elon. And no matter what you think of the Twitter saga, it hasn't helped him. Now, I think personally, I think what uncovering kind of the back end of what what Twitter uh, was doing uh, and those files, I think that's overall positive. Objectively, I think it's probably the best thing Elon's done, <laughs> frankly. Um, but in general, it's just not been a good thing for the Tesla brand. And you saw that today, down 4%. The market's up almost 1%. It's drastically underperforming, especially recently. And that's a telltale sign that it's over. Game's over for Tesla. Then you have the problems in China, the shutdowns. Uh, you have economy slowing, so less people willing to buy Teslas. You have you know, other competition now, right? From Porsche to BMW to uh, Volkswagen in general. They're pushing hard on, on EVs. So they're no, long, no longer the only game in town. And I knew long-term Tesla wasn't going to make it as the, pre, the preeminent EV brand. Because it was never well-run. If you look at the business, it was never well-run. It was a lot of marketing and a whole lot of fluff. And that's starting to play out they're moving at a steady pace towards the end of this year. We're just under three weeks remaining in 2022. And the market dynamics are shifting. And if you're serious about your financial future, then you have to deal with the things that come at you. You have to update your strategies, and especially in changing market dynamics. So you need help understanding whether you're prepared. I encourage you to reach out to myself or CPs at our company, KAPP Financial, where we operate with the same philosophy, which is independent thinking and shared success. And we provide unbiased guidance, both on and off air. And we practice parallel investing, which means we invest right alongside our clients. So we encourage you to take advantage of our free portfolio view assessment via telephone or go to meeting. You can send us a message through investtalk.com or give our office a call at 800 557 Five four six one. Love to speak to you just for a short period of time, and we can help you get your portfolio optimized.
This is Invest Talk. We thank you for downloading and tell your friends about our podcast. Next up, we will play another caller question. So hang on. In today's world, a variety of factors are affecting the stock markets. Serious investors know building a secure financial future requires hard work and determination. That's why now, more than ever, when it comes to the planning, execution, and maintenance of your portfolio, you need InvestTalk. InvestTalk is a free download. Your participation makes it unique. Don't forget to call InvestTalk, 888-99-CHART. Let's go to Bob in Burlingame. Yes, hello. Uh, my name is Bob. Uh, thanks for taking my call. Sure. Um, I'm asking about uh, Coupa Software, CEO of UP. Uh, recently in the news, there was a bid essentially to buy the company out at $81 for stock. And I kind of want to know, based on your history, how how good of, like, how basically, how true of a deal does it sound like? Does it sound like a done deal or is it best to just get out in these type of situations? Just kind of want to your expertise on this. Uh, let's see. Um, let me go look at the. Well, this is all uh, about who's who's buying. Them. Let's see, that was yesterday. I didn't hear about this news. Thomas Bravo deal is okay. Uh, well, this a lot depends on who the buyer is. Is it well uh, capitalized? They need to go and raise capital to make this happen. Let's see. Private equity firm, Thomas Bravo. Got it. Okay. In an all-cash deal. Well, it's if it's all cash and Thomas Bravo, Toma, Thomo, 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 Thomo Bravo. I don't know how to say it exactly. If they have the cash on hand, then it's probably going to go through. But, you know, private equity right now, you don't know what's in there. You don't know how this is, this is being done. It's private. <laughs> you know, they don't need to tell you. They just need to make a bid for the, the business. So uh, I think it'll probably go through. If you own it, I'd probably just sell it and move on. Uh, if you have a loss, you can take the loss for uh, the the end of the year. That might be nice. Um, if you have a gain, then wait till next year. This is Invest Talk. We're heading into our final break. So give me a call now at 888-99-CHART. The markets react to uncertainty. Are you prepared? Is your portfolio balanced? Is it optimized? Your financial future depends on the answers to those questions. Justin Klein is here now and ready to talk with you. Call InvestTalk, 888-99-CHART. Hello, wanted to get your opinion on ticker symbol LVMH. It's for the Louis Vuitton Group. Thank you. All right, looking at LVMH, this is a collection of brands, including, as you said, Louis Vuitton, Bagari, Fendi, Givenchy, uh, Tag Heuer, Tag Hauer, Hauer, Tennessee, Moet, Chandon, so they have Champagne. They also own stores like Sephora and Benefit, uh, Glen Moranger, another uh, alcohol. So this is out of Paris and owns a large collection of high-quality brands. And they're, as you would expect, their profit margins are pretty darn good. Return on equity right now, it's about 28%. Now, long-term average is around 21%. So it's a bit over-earning right now. Uh, and technically, it's a bit over-bought. 
But this is a name you definitely want to have on your watch list because it's just a strong performer and minimal debt and is able to just produce massive amounts of free cash flow. Right now, trailing 12 months, about $16 billion in free cash flow. Now that it's coming down, so people are over spending on these luxury items. And I, I do think that's going to retrench here uh, through 2023 and 2024. But you want to be buying down on some some dips. Uh, and I would be continuing to, once again, keep this on your watch list. It gets back down into the low 100s. Right now it's at 153. I think anywhere 110 to 120. I think that's a great buying area for Louis Vuitton. LVMH. The symbol is L-V-M-U-Y. It's uh, listed in foreign markets, not here. So just know you'll have to buy that on the foreign markets. Now, to close up, I want to touch a bit on the tax bill that could come unexpectedly through the mutual funds that you hold in your taxable accounts. This isn't affecting you if you hold mutual funds in some sort of tax-deferred account like an IRA, 401k, Roth IRA, etc. But in a time like this, when the market's down, you can actually get hit with large tax bills, even though you didn't make any profit. You're going to say, how is that? I'll tell you in a second. But about 350 funds will pay out more than 10% of their net asset value this year in capital gains taxes. And more than 60 will pay out more than 20%, even though many of those funds had double-digit losses for the year. And you're going to say, how, how is that? Well, it's because mutual funds that have big gains, I think that a lot of the growthier mutual funds, they have earned a lot of money, right? Throughout the years, uh, investing in, in, in these, these stocks that went up a lot. And if investors needed cash, well, they could sell some of the ones that maybe didn't have big gains, maybe it was offset by more inflows elsewhere, and they didn't really have to sell the positions that had large gains. But what happens is when you go into a down market and investors sell out, even if you bought the mutual fund this year, and investors sell out, they're going to have to sell the, gain, the gains because they're having more outflows than they are inflows. And eventually they work through all the ones they have losses on or not much gain on, and they have to sell some of the bigger gainers. And they have to now distribute those capital gains to the remaining fund holders each year. And it's typically in the fourth quarter. Sometimes it's October, sometimes November. Oftentimes, it's in, it's, in, it's in December. Now, the payout is in cash. So if you take it as cash, you have some money to pay it. But that doesn't mean you made a profit necessarily. You could be still be down overall in your purchase. And you something you don't have, don't have control over. And so this is why when you're buying mutual funds in tax-deferred accounts, especially those active mutual funds, you have to understand what are called capital gains exposure. And you can look that up on the on the, uh, the company website, uh, the, the mutual funds website. You can look them up on Morningstar. We, we can look it up ourselves in Morningstar. Uh, but you need to be aware of that. And some of the capital gains is long-term. Some of it is short-term. And you need to make sure you don't get hit big in these taxable accounts if you hold some of those types of mutual funds. 
And uh, I know that's something most people aren't aware of. I've known it for a long time. We used to deal with mutual funds a lot, not anymore, but uh, make sure that you are aware. Now, I'm Justin Klein. This completes another Invest Talk program. Steve Peasley and I thank you for listening. We encourage you to tell your friends and family about a free podcast download, which you can find anytime at iTunes, Spotify, or Google Play. And be sure to rate and review. And we're now approaching the 48 million download mark thanks to you. Independent, th- <coughs> independent thinking, shared success. This is Invest Talk. Good night. Invest Talk is a trademark of KPP Financial. Because of the nature of the interactive dialogue inherent in the format of this program, it's important for the listener to understand that not all comments made will apply to them. Specifically, nothing said shall be taken to be investment advice, or shall statements on this program be considered an offer to buy or sell security. Because such advice is rendered solely on an individual basis and at times will require that the investor review a prospectus before investing. InvestTalk is a copyrighted program of Klein, Pavlis, and Peasley Financial, a registered investment advisor firm which retains all rights. For more information regarding KPP's investment advisors, call 1-800-557-5461. Steve Peasley is president and Justin Klein is chief executive officer of Klein, Pavlis, and Peasley Financial.